0: Amen. May God make it so. Our gospel lesson this morning is taken from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Hear now the words of our Lord. While he was saying these things to them, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and followed him with his disciples. Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. When Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl got up and the report of this spread throughout the district. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. I greet you again with the Spirit of Christ on this lovely morning. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and the sermon series addressing holy vessels and our life in Christ. We've been entering into Jesus' miracles of healing, and today we've heard Matthew's scripture of two healing stories which are interwoven with each other. The story of a woman with a hemorrhage set inside the story of a little girl who had died. And when you look at the two stories, there are many parallels between each account. Both the woman and the child are called daughter by Jesus. Both are healed after seeking Jesus. The woman sought out Jesus on her own as a child's father sought out Jesus for her. The woman had been ill for 12 years. And if we look at the gospel parallels and see in Mark the same story, which has a little bit more detail to it, the little girl is 12 years old. Both have been isolated because of their physical conditions, and both were healed through the touch of Jesus. And I believe this is relevant in that it addresses the various ways that we can reach out to Jesus, that we come to Jesus, and that Jesus always responds as we enter into the miracles of jesus i think it's important to recognize that some of us might feel no need to understand what they mean and we take the miracles of jesus as recorded in scripture at face value Uh, while others of us might read about the healing miracles and experience questions arising and are aware that they need to try to understand them And in whatever way we approach the miracles of Jesus, I agree with a commentator who I read this past week who wrote, We must never be content to regard them as something which happened. We must always regard them as something which happens. They are not isolated events in history. They are demonstrations of the always and forever power of Jesus Christ. If we agree... We're then invited to experience the miracles of Jesus in a way that awakens our spirits and causes us to also imagine new possibilities and new solutions for whatever we're going through in life. What if these two stories of healing is to challenge us to blur the line between what we think is possible and what we think is impossible? Could we ever come to a time when swords would be beaten into plowshares, when the predatory people in power, the lions, would lie down in peace with the vulnerable and the poor, the lambs, when God's justice would flow like river to the lowest and most God-forsaken places on earth, when the brokenhearted would be comforted and the poor would receive good news? It's not too late for something beautiful to be born out of our brokenness. Maybe the present moment is filled with possibilities we can't even imagine. And so today I invite you to open your imagination and to experience what God is waking up within you. I just finished reading a fictional book called The Book of Longing by Sue Monk Kidd. The main character and narrator of the story is Anna, and she discovered within herself as a teen that she had a longing for a life bigger than that with which she was born into. The story was one of growing in her relationship with God, being nurtured in her faith by her aunt, a girlfriend, and eventually her husband who loved her and encouraged her to imagine the life she was born to live. Throughout the course of the story, she was awakened to new possibilities, new realities, and new ways of living. Have you ever experienced an awakening in your life? 47 years ago, my 18-month-old nephew Andy was in a drowning accident and died. He was revived by his mother, my sister but lived the remaining 26 years of his life as a three-month-old. For years, my family believed Andy would be healed and restored to a normal, healthy life. For years, friends and families would gather over Andy for this healing. And unfortunately, this did not happen in this earthly life. As a young adult, for I was a freshman in college at the time when this happened, I spent years talking with my college professors and then seminary professors, clergy, about why or why not miracles occur in scripture, and why why did they occur in scripture, but why do they not occur in the world today? I studied the theology of suffering, theodicy, and read many great philosophers and theologians. My advisor said that if the university was giving out uh, triple degrees, uh, I would earn one in theodicy, Uh, but they were only giving double majors. But after decades of prayer, discussion, journaling, I came to the point where I stopped vacillating between yes miracle or no miracle, to ask the question, What happens to us when we imagine miracles happening in today's world? In other words, perhaps the stories of miracles in scripture is intended to do more than inform us about events that happened in the past. Perhaps the miracle stories are meant to shake up our normal assumptions, inspire our imagination about the present and the future, and make it possible for us to see something we could not see before. Perhaps the miracle that really counts isn't the one that happened back then, but one that could happen to us right now as we reflect and enter into the story. Perhaps by challenging us to consider impossible possibilities, these stories can stretch our imagination And in so doing, can empower us to play a role in co-creating new possibilities for the world of today and tomorrow. And what at first seemed impossible could become possible. As I look back over the years, and it's been many years since Sandy died, I've seen the miracles that have happened in my family and in our community, in my life, and in my relationships. And so God is at work in our lives in ways that we often do not understand. In our scripture today, we meet the leader of the synagogue who came to Jesus to bring his daughter back to life. As a leader of the synagogue, he was a pillar of Jewish orthodoxy. He was elected by the elders. He was not a teaching or preaching official, but he had the care of the external order in public worship and the supervision of the concerns of the synagogue in general. He oversaw its running. He appointed those who were to read and to pray and worship, and it was his duty to see that nothing unwittingly took place within the synagogue. And most likely, he was one of those men who resented and perceived Jesus as a dangerous heretic. No doubt, he tried every kind of doctor, every kind of cure, and only in sheer desperation, and as a last resort, did he come to Jesus at all. You could say he came to Jesus when all else failed. He didn't come to Jesus as a result of an overflow of the love of his heart for Jesus, but he came to Jesus because desperation drove him there. And right as we're introduced to the synagogue leader, we meet the woman with the 12-year hemorrhage. She came up to Jesus, and she reached out to touch the fringe of his cloak, believing that if she could only touch him, she would be healed. She didn't want to bother Jesus. She didn't want to tap him on the shoulder and say, Jesus, have mercy on me, heal me. She just wanted to touch his cloak, the fringe of his cloak, and so these two people approached Jesus in different ways, and both of them were awakened to Jesus' love and power, waiting to meet their needs. Think about it with me. It didn't matter to Jesus how they came to him, but that they did come to him. No matter how inadequately and how imperfectly we come to Jesus, Jesus' love and his touch are open to receive us. The woman who touched Jesus' cloak was considered unclean because of her bleeding. Everything and everyone she touched was then unclean. She had been shut off from her community of fellowship and family for years. She had been cut out from worshiping God and from the fellowship that would be part of the worship experience. But she had faith that if she just touched Jesus without bothering him or interrupting him she knew she would be healed can't you imagine with me that when she touched Jesus's cloak it was as if time stood still she knew she was instantly healed and in that crowd of moment movement Jesus halted turned addressed her and said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. For Jesus, no one is ever lost in the crowd, and no one is ever unclean. So Jesus went with the leader of the synagogue to his house and found that the morning had begun. All were in grief because the child was dead. There were flute players who were part of the mourning. M-O-U-R-N, mourning experience. There were people who were there to cry and wail to God. All were in grief. And Jesus sent them out of the house and told them that the child was not dead but only asleep, and they laughed at him. One commentator wrote that they laughed because they were enjoying their grief so much, and they resented the hope that Jesus brought. And so Jesus took the girl's hand, called her daughter, and she got up. She was awakened by Jesus. Beloved, this past year has been difficult in so many different ways. We've experienced personal and communal loss with the death of loved ones or with people getting sick and we're not being able to be with them. Some have experienced financial loss. Some have experienced profound loneliness and an isolation that they couldn't have imagined before. In many ways, we've experienced the death of what we had, of what we took for normal life. But has it been a death, or has part of ourselves just been asleep for a long time? Have you withheld yourself consciously or unconsciously from feeling close to or from even loving someone else? Have you somehow chosen to isolate yourself, to not connect with others? And perhaps it felt easier that way, but then one day you realized how lonely you had become. What might it mean to reach out to Jesus and to have Jesus in turn reach out to you take your hand, and remind you to live. Questions like these show us a way of engaging with the miracle stories as signs and wonders. They stir us to imagine new ways of seeing, leading us to new ways of acting, and leading to new ways of being awake to life and being in fellowship with our family and friends. Personally, I do believe in the miracle stories in scripture. I believe they've occurred. And I've also seen miracles happen in my own life when addicts enter into recovery, when relationships which seem to have no hope other than divorce are able to turn around and develop into committed, loving relationships, when someone who has been diagnosed with the terrible disease and fears dying a shortened lifetime and through modern medicine is healed or when two estranged friends forgive each other and resume their friendship. I'm sure you can think of other stories. If we consider how miracle stories might speak to the brokenness in our lives, the stories stimulate us to ask questions about our own lives and our own time when we read these stories in scripture, to spend a moment and ask God to reveal to you what it is you can learn from this. What is it that God is showing you? What was the intention of the writers who recorded these stories? And then what fears or false beliefs or emotional imbalances reside within us and distort our behavior? what would it mean for faith in the power of god to liberate us from these fears do we have faith that such miracles could happen to us today and are we willing to reach out and touch jesus jesus traveled throughout israel and healed people performing miracles And the people started sharing what they experienced through witnessing the miracles performed and what they heard about Jesus and his teachings. They were awakened to a new way of life. They were awakened to share the resources that they had to look after the orphan, to look after the widow, to look after the poor. They felt their emptiness and hopelessness and powerlessness began to be filled with the love and grace of God, and they extended it to others. They began to believe that God was with them in whatever they were experiencing, and they began to see life in a new light. Our spiritual mothers and fathers of the past believed, and we must too believe, that we are not alone, that God continues to wake us up in expected and miraculous ways and my prayer for all of us is for us to open our eyes and to wake up to take jesus's hand and to follow where he leads us trusting that god's promises are true and we are not alone amen let us pray loving god we thank you that you are as close to us as the air we breathe. We thank you that you are as close to us as the light of our eyes. We thank you that you speak to us through so many ways, Lord, all through scripture, through our times in prayer, through the world in which you have created us and the beauty with which you have surrounded us, for the gift of family and friends. And we pray, Lord, for your healing touch, In those areas of brokenness within us and within our relationships, we turn our lives over to you, Lord, and we thank you that you walk with us and that we are your children and you are our God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.